Great job. Well, you would turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, book of Luke chapter 24. It is Easter Sunday, and um, I love Easter. I love Easter. I love what God does on Easter. I love that all around the world we have churches and, and, and gatherings where people are praising God and worshiping Him together, all different cultures and expressions, all kinds of tongues and, 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 and languages, and it just all around the world that we would celebrate the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Before I get started with our message this morning, I want to give a little promo for next Sunday, and I want to invite you to be here next Sunday. I'm going to be starting a new series next Sunday morning, a series entitled, The Church Jesus Loves. The Church Jesus Loves. You know, I read a study this week that said that um, a lot of people, when surveyed, said this, I don't have a problem with Jesus, it's the church I don't like. But there's an inherent problem in that that we'll start unpacking next week. We want to take a look at Scripture and find out what is the church that Jesus loves. How does, how does Jesus think about his church? What is he called his church to be? So I invite you to be a part of that. Invite a friend. If you know someone who's maybe skeptical about church, uh, this may be a good service to invite them to as we have that conversation. Well, we are on the last of a six-part series called Epic. And this morning is, as, as is appropriate, the most epic morning of them all. We've talked about the fact that uh, we're called to live epic lives, but sometimes we don't feel very epic. You ever have a day that you don't feel epic? Anyone? Yeah, okay. Um, what's epic? Epic is this. Epic is defined as heroic impressively great or majestic. That's what epic is. We love watching epic movies. Yesterday or day before yesterday, another Star Wars trailer came out, right? And, and every star, I, I watched it the next morning and I actually felt bad that I missed it on the day that it was released. There was a little, little grief inside my heart. And I was like, oh no, I guess I'm not that big of a Star Wars fan. And now we love epic stories. We love epic stories of, of people rising above and doing incredible things. And today we're going to finish this series talking about Jesus. And the tagline for this morning is this, living epic when you're dead. Living epic when you're dead. Sounds like an oxymoron. We're going to unpack it in a few minutes. We spent a few weeks, we talked about Noah, living epic when you're all alone. Talked about Gideon, living epic when you face opposition. Living uh, David, living epic when you feel down. Peter, living epic when you make mistakes. These are some of the ones that we've talked about. If you missed any of those messages, you can uh, listen to them online at thriveglendora.org or you can uh, subscribe to the podcast and you can catch up on those. See, in each one of those people's lives that I just mentioned uh, and so many others in Scripture, they, they were faced with a temptation to believe a lie instead of the truth. They were faced with a temptation to believe something that, 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 that seemed on the surface to be true but really was a lie. And here's the thing about lies. They're easier to see than the truth. Because, because when a lie is presented, it's presented in a way that's 
really embellished and fluffy and pretty and nice, right? So, when someone's lying to you, you can usually tell because they go overboard. They try too hard to sell you on the lie. And so as a result, lies are sometimes easier to spot than the truth. See, the truth needs to be discovered. It's something that has to be sought after. That's why we have courtrooms and judges in our country to discover the truth. Because usually what we see right up front is not the truth. I want to tell you a little story. Um, when I was in high school, I played uh, varsity basketball. Now, I know, you're looking at me going, another oxymoron. Um, yeah, I played varsity basketball, and I know you wouldn't know it looking at me. Um, in fact, our team was league champion three rows in a year, and, and on top of that, we were undefeated for three years uh, in a row. Um, it was pretty, pretty amazing, um, amazing time. Again, I, I don't look like the basketball type. But here's what I haven't told you. I, I grew up in a country where rugby, cricket, and soccer ruled, and a basketball wasn't even a close fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh, right? Field hockey was more popular than basketball. Uh, and basketball was a new sport. I grew up in South Africa, and basketball was a new sport to us. So as a result, we had about 10 teams in our league, and, and none of them were any good <laughs> at all. Um, I wasn't actually that good. I had a couple of friends uh, on the team that really were good. My friend Quinton, who now lives in England, is 6'4", and is actually a really, really good basketball player and could have done really well here in the States. So as you can imagine, in a country where people weren't good, he was like a superstar. This is the era of uh, Michael Jordan, and, uh, and he was like, he was that kind of player in our league. He was like, Oh my gosh, you're incredible. Um, I had lived in America for two years, and I moved back to South Africa, and they looked at me and said, you lived in the States, you're on the basketball team. I don't think I ever touched a basketball in the two years I lived here. Um, in fact, on top of that, I don't ever recall playing a team where there was a player taller than me. Most of them came up to my shoulder, and I'm not that tall. So when I say that I played varsity basketball, that's actually true. And we were league champs, and we did go undefeated, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the whole truth. You know, we look at people's lives sometime around, sometimes around us, and we get discouraged because we see them and we go, wow, that person has it all together. They have it all figured out. They look successful. They have money. They're healthy. They live in a nice house. We're in a nice community. They don't have any problems. Their marriage is perfect and everything is great. But we only see part of the picture. We see the part that people show to us. In fact, even in this room, I would venture that most Sundays we let people see what we want them to see and we hide most of the truth behind a smile or a closed door. See that the lie is easier to believe. I can look at people's lives and go, oh, you're, you're doing great. And then I compare myself and say, well, compared to you, my life just stinks. And there's nothing epic about who I am. There's nothing epic about my life. And we can become discouraged in the same way that Gideon and Noah and David and so many others, Esther, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Peter, actually all of the apostles, Thomas, 
that we can start believing a lie and ignoring and not digging for what is true. See, the lie for us in our culture is this, that this is as good as it's going to get. That we're relegated to just living our lives out and hoping that nothing bad happens, that the day-to-day, the normal is just what it is. This is what it is. Some people believe this, that the best days are behind me. Any Napoleon Dynamite fans in the house? All right, two. Some of you will not admit that you've seen that movie. Um, we watch it quite a bit at our house, right? Uncle, Uncle Rico, right? With the football. Man, if the coach, right, a 30-plus-year-old guy who's like living like he's back on the, 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 the high school football team, if the coach had just put me in, the best days are behind me. No, they're not. They're not behind you. People thinking my life has no hope, no meaning, and no purpose. But here is the truth. That you were created to be and to live epic. That your life was designed to be epic. And it's that truth that I want to talk to you about today. You know, Jesus actually said that one of the reasons he came to earth was this, and we're going to read it from Scripture, John 18, 36 through 38. This is a few days before when Jesus would be crucified and, and, and even what we celebrate today with the resurrection. He went through the process between, between Herod and Pilate being accused, and he's standing before Pilate. And it's in this moment that Pilate's questioning him about his kingdom, and, and he says to Jesus, so you're a king then? And Jesus replies and says to him, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. What is truth? Most people, if you were to ask them, why did Jesus come? They would say, to die for my sins. And he did, indeed come to die for our sins and he talks about that in another place we miss this though he came to testify to the truth and why is that necessary see because there's an adversary who's lying every single day telling you that you're not good enough that you don't measure up that this is as good as it's ever gonna get and that the best days are behind you not ahead of you and Jesus knew that he needed to testify to a different reality to what was true God has a plan for your life. There is hope. There is meaning. There is purpose that you're not done yet. On another occasion, earlier in John chapter 8, 31 and 32, he says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Of course, the truth that he's talking about is, is not the, the opposite of, you know, there's a, the, a, a, a fact and, and, a, and a lie. And it's not like Jesus is saying, well, if you, just, if you just buy into the things or you just look at things empirically and say, well, that's true and not a lie, then you'll be 
free. What he's really talking about is himself, that Jesus is truth. And he came to testify even to himself and to the Godhead about who God is and what he has for us. So today, living epic when you're dead. The words for this will be on the screen. You can turn there in your Bible as well. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. Luke 24, verse 1 through 12. And I should have turned there before, but that's okay. We'll take a second. I'll give you a second to turn. Luke 24. This is the account of the morning of the resurrection and what happened that day. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with her faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven to all the, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them that told, them, told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like them, uh, to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You know what's amazing about this account? is Jesus plainly told them, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again after the third day. You notice that the disciples chose to believe the lie versus the truth. See, because sometimes the truth is hard to swallow. What do you mean you're going to raise from the dead? People don't raise from the dead. Even though they just seen Lazarus get raised from the dead. It was too hard to believe the truth, so they believed the lie. Jesus is dead, and the last three years of our lives are really awash. There's no way. They even say when the three women come... And they shared the news of what the angels had said, and it says that it seemed to them like nonsense. So when I say a statement like this, living epic when you're dead, you go, that's a nonsense kind of statement. But it's not. Because with Jesus, all things are possible. See, living epic is not about what you do. Living epic is about what has been done for you. Living epic is not about what you do and striving to have a better life. Living epic is all about what has been done for you. And we need to decide, every single one of us, in fact, every person born on this planet at some point in their life needs to decide what they do with the gift that Jesus gave. See, Jesus died and he rose for you. The only reason he went to the cross was for you and for me. He, he didn't have to prove a point. He didn't have to stick it to Satan. He didn't have to prove it. He's God. 
And he was doing just fine in heaven. But John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave. And that Jesus came and he lived and he ministered. And he died a painful, excruciating death. But then he rose again. Why for you? The book of Hebrews says that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. That joy is you and me. And every man, woman, boy, and girl who lives on this planet at some point in their life has to make a decision about who Jesus is and whether or not they will receive the gift that he gave. See, he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to know him. And he wants to be known by you. I want to invite Holly Ann to come and join me. Let's give her a hand as she comes up. Hey there. Uh, Holly Ann's fiance, William, is here. He drove out from Arizona to be here this morning. So, welcome. It's good to have you. Let's have you come stand up here. I asked Holly Ann if she would come share for a few minutes. Talked earlier about Thrive Stories, about what God's doing in people's lives. And Megan and I have got to spend quite a bit of time with Holly Ann and um, she's got an amazing, amazing testimony of what God has done, and uh, we've, we've really come to love her even like a daughter, um, which when you understand her testimony would make even more sense. So take her to lunch sometime and have her tell you the full story. I'm sure she'd love to share with you. But I was praying for this morning. I thought, Lord, I'd love for someone to come and share about what you've done in their lives and the difference that Jesus has made. And Holly Ann was the first person uh, that came to my mind, and interestingly enough, she told me yesterday she'd been wanting to ask me if there would be an opportunity for her to share. So, see how God works. Holly Ann, would you share with us the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Am I good? You're good. good? Go okay. for it. Hi, I'm Holly Ann, for those of you who I haven't met. Um, so, let's see, for 23 years, I um, went to a cult, a Christian cult. Um, my whole family's there. Um, so last March, I ended up leaving home um, because I knew who God was and I knew where he was calling me. So, yeah. Um, they talk a lot about the truth, but then they kind of distort it. And so my whole life, I believe that's really what was true. And I kept believing and believing, but I kind of knew something was off. Um, when I got to about junior high, I was kind of like, what is going on here? But, I mean, my parents said, hey, this is true. So, of course, I mean, I believed them, lived off of their faith, kept going along with it. Um, and then by the time I got to college, I graduated from high school. I got to go to college, which is huge for girls in that group because, you know, knowledge is the devil. So <laughs> school is awful. Um, so the fact that I was able to go to school was huge. And then... I graduated from Citrus College, and it came time to transfer into an actual university, and the Lord just completely opened up the doors for me to go to APU, which, again, huge, huge deal, because it was Christian, and there are no other Christians in the world except for us. So <laughs> I went to APU, and I started hearing about God. I'm like, what do they know? <laughs> but, you know, I started listening, and I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. And it started, like, I started hearing more, and I was, like, really just craving to go to chapel every day. <laughs> like, it was really good. And I got to hear more and more about who the Lord really was, and my mind was blown. 
God was love. God was truth. God was my father. And so um, the week before March 6th of last year, um, the Lord was preparing my heart, and I knew it was time that I stepped out in my own faith and got to know the Lord for myself. So I left home. I told my parents, and they weren't really that thrilled <laughs> that I was wanting to leave home. Um, there were many things that happened that caused me to actually leave, but um, yeah, so they told me to leave, and I went to my grandparents, and they took me in, and I started going to church the next Sunday, and it was really good, and I was like, oh my God, you're so much bigger than I always thought you were, <laughs> and then my best friend, Michaela, um, brought me here. And for the first Sunday, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a little too similar to what I know. And I was like, I almost got up and walked out. There were tissue boxes on the floor, and I was like, that's what I grew up with. This must not be a church. <laughs> so I almost got up and left partway through the sermon, but then Barry just totally expanded on it and brought more life to it, and God really spoke through him and just softened my heart and made me realize that this was home. This was my family. And I've gotten to know a lot of you guys, and you've each become like mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to me. And it's been amazing. And even though I don't have my biological family in my life at all, I have God's family. And I'm finally knowing God for myself. And he's been calling me to do lots of things. And it's Every time he calls me, it's that much easier to follow without hesitation. It was really hard the first time because I'm like, whoa, I'm leaving home. And it was huge. But each time gets a little bit easier, and I feel his presence in my life stronger and stronger each day. My fiancé, William, has been a huge help as well. He stuck with me even when I was in the cult and yeah. even went with me a couple of times. He's that amazing. <laughs> And he helped me see a lot of truth, and everyone that's been in my life since then has been a huge impact, and the Lord has spoken through so many people in my life and helped me stay strong mm. in knowing the truth. And Stacy's been helping me learn through Genesis process. If you guys ever get a chance, you should really do it. It helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But yeah, thank so you. thank you all. Can we do this? First, can we say thank you to Holly Ann? That's great. We're going to pray for your family. Can we do that? Lord, I know that it's not your desire that Holly Ann would be separated from her family. Lord, I thank you for the bravery of this young woman to stand on the side of truth, even though it has cost her so much. God, we pray for her family today. I pray that their eyes would be open to the whole truth of who you are. And Lord, that lies would unravel, that they would fall to the ground as dead, that the sting, Lord, of, of death that the enemy would want to bring would just be undone in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that even her pioneering the way would open the door, Lord, even for her her, her siblings, Lord, for her parents, for the extended family and all of those, who, Lord, who believed a lie, Lord, to, to walk into the light. We pray strength over her and over William, Lord, as they push forward with the things that you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you. He wants a personal relationship with you. And here's what the enemy will do. He will put people in your way and obstacles in your way and things in your way to keep you from Jesus, up to and including your very own family. And God loves your family. Holly Ann, he loves your family. But Jesus did say that those who really are my disciples stand on the side of truth. Stand on the side of truth. See, because it's not enough, as Holly Ann expressed, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to know someone else who knows Jesus. Information really doesn't do anything. It's all about you knowing Him personally. And He's made a way for you to do that. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 through 8 says this, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, this is truth. This is truth. This is truth. The Bible tells us that we were dead in our sin. We are born into death. That until that point where we come to Jesus and we surrender our lives to Him and confess our sin and repent and turn and put our faith in Him, up until that point we are dead in sin. But after that point, we come to life. So how do you live epic when you're dead? You stop being dead. See, Jesus was buried in a grave, and he was dead. When he hung on that cross, the soldiers came to check and see if he was dead, and they said they didn't even break his legs, as was the custom, to confirm that the the individual was dead, because they could just tell there was no life left in him, and they buried him in that tomb and wrapped him up, and he was dead. But there was more going on. That on the third day he would rise again. Overcoming sin. Overcoming death. Overcoming the grave. Not just for himself but for you as well. So that you can live epic even though you were born dead. How do you live epic when you're dead? You receive the life that Jesus offers. Romans 8.11 says this. And if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. You know how I interpret this passage? God created you to be epic. The same Spirit that raised Jesus who was dead to life lives in you. The same Spirit that brought Death to life will bring the dead things in your life to life so you can live epic for Jesus. 
And I love that, that the, the, the Apostle Paul here includes our mortal bodies. Because for some people they think, well, one day when I get to heaven. Right now i just got to suck it up and tough it out. But one day when I get to heaven, everything will be better. You know that God never called us to live suck it up kind of lives here on earth. That he said that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are awesome. And that he has given you life. That he's calling you to life in this life. And in the next. So how do you live epic when you're dead? You receive the life. How do you do that? Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth. Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Let me pause there for a second. This is critical. If you don't believe that, Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead, the conversation is over. It's the pivotal point. Easter is about the resurrection and about the power of God bringing dead things to life. And here Paul says that, Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Practically, it looks like this. Repent. Which this basically says, God, I'm dead in my sin. And I need you to forgive me. Confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, and I put my faith in you. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's it. Church, it's the biggest, easiest exchange in the history of mankind. He exchanges his life for your death, and all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive it. That's pretty epic. That's pretty epic. Can we stand together? I want to challenge those of you in the room who've maybe walked with God for a while. You've served Jesus or you've attended church maybe for decades. And you're sitting here this morning nodding your head and saying yes or even maybe a couple of amens came out or a hallelujah or two. But I'm going to press on us a little bit this morning. Where in your life as a Christ follower are you believing the lie? Because it's not enough to know people who know Jesus. And it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's all about receiving the fullness of what he has for you. To be shaken out of our lethargy, out of the lie, and to walk in the truth. I'm going to let that simmer, marinate for a minute. I want to ask this. Is there anyone here today who you would say, I've never said yes to Jesus? I've never done what, Pastor Barry, what you just said there, to repent, confess, and believe. I've never done that. I've never said yes to him. I've never committed my life to him and received the gift of salvation. I don't want us to leave this place today without giving you the opportunity to do just that, to do just that. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm just simply ask this. If that's you, if you're feeling that stirring, maybe, maybe your insides are feeling a little bit funny right now. No, it wasn't the donut you had or the cinnamon roll you had before you came in. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life.
And the appropriate response to Jesus' sacrifice is just to say yes. I want to ask you without thinking about it, without, without over-complicating over it, just respond to that, what God is saying in your heart right now. If you would say yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand in this place right now? Boldly, boldly, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Him. Anyone this morning who would say yes to the Lord, you've never said yes to Him. All right. I give it one more second, a couple more seconds. Anyone today? It's natural. It's normal to, to wrestle you know that Jesus wrestled with whether or not he should go to the cross, but he went for you. It's normal to feel all like, oh, I'm not sure, but, but I don't want to move on without really giving you the opportunity. Anyone this morning, you'd say, yes, I need Jesus in my life. Just raise your hand nice and high. Our goal is not to embarrass you. We want to celebrate with you today. All right. I'm going to go back to what we were marinating on a minute ago. Are there dead things in your life? Are there things where God has brought life at one point and you've allowed the dead things to creep back in? The lie to creep back in? If so, that's not what God has for you. It's not what He's designed for you. Would you... Be so bold this morning before God and man because the confession part of what we do, confessing with our mouths is important. Would you be so bold this morning as to, in this place in front of people you know and people you don't know, acknowledge before God that maybe that's you. If there are things in your life where there's death has come back in, where there should be life and you want God to breathe new life, would you raise your hand today and say, that's me. Thank you all around the room, all around the room, I would say over you right now, receive the life that Jesus brings. Receive the life that Jesus brings. Anyone else, anyone else, keep your hands up. Anyone else this morning, you would say, I need the life that Jesus brings. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for every hand that is raised in this place, every heart surrendered to you. Lord, I pray for the hands that aren't raised. God, because we're all in need of a touch from you. We all need more of you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in power in this place, in our lives, in this church, and in this community. God, that you would bring the dead to life so that we can live epic for you. Thank you, Jesus, that the same, the same power, the same spirit that raised you from the dead lives in us, lives in us. Jesus, you walked this earth and you did amazing things and your declaration over your church was this, that we would do even greater things in your name because of the power that is working us. God, I pray over the lie that would speak over this church and over these people, Lord, that that doesn't count for you. Lord, that we would own the power that we have, that we would own the authority we have in you, and that we would walk in that so that other lives would be impacted for eternity and for the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us back to life. We give you honor, we give you glory, and we give you praise. And it's the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.